What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. All right, listen up, you savages. The Meat Sacks are back with normal episodes next week, but we have one more bonus episode or you beforehand. It's about ghost hobos or train spooks or some crap. I didn't pay attention. Either way, I hope you hate it. Railways are naturally odd places. They can cut through urban and rural areas. They're absolutely different than most of their surroundings at any given spot. They sit in solemn silence half the time. The other half, they scream with unnatural sounds, wailing a dirge with a chorus of steam, steel, and strife. And without a doubt, they're dangerous. The deceptive stillness of a railroad can lull a living being into a false sense of security. For the railroad's sole purpose is to convey that marvel of engineering, that paragon of ingenuity, that weapon of mass conduction, the train. Take tons of metal and wood, mix in an enormous amount of power, and multiply it all by speed. And tell me you don't have a menacing missile rocketing down the throat of tranquility. That sense of security be damned, for if you're oblivious, out of it, or otherwise occupied, that missile of steel and energy has obliteration written all over it. They're called iron horses, battleships, hotshots, rattlers, wind cutters. These are not names for safe machines. And the operation of said machines is just about everything but safe. A slip can maim. Neglect can kill. A distraction can lead to an engine jumping the tracks like a jackrabbit, and imagination will suffice for now for the aftermath. These brutish behemoths crawl across countrysides on webs of delicate peril. They eat fire and speak thunder. They wear a crown of warning wreathed in sooty gloom. For all the added convenience and efficiency they brought with their proliferation, the writhing underbelly of technology has been buried like a mountain tunnel cave-in. Countless lives were ruined as dull steel tendrils snaked over the landscape. From builders constructing the extensive lines through treacherous terrain, to workers doing their best to govern and bridle an instrument of such imposing power, to passengers and bystanders, either unaware or irreverent of the force blazing down upon them. A train accident is never an emotionless affair. In fact, they're almost always fraught and imbued with negativity, terror, agony, anguish, rage. So it's no wonder tales of the supernatural and trains couple like a locomotive and tender. Whole trains, train tracks, even stations themselves carry the memories of tragedy and sometimes the suffering lingers. We're punching our ticket to the sound and fury of railway ghosts on this episode of Glory
and welcome to Blurry Photos. I'm your host, David Flora. The single most wonderful time of the year is here. Blurry Photober, the zenith of spooktacularity. And of course, I'm getting over a cold for it, so I apologize for some of the huskiness of my voice. Too bad it's not some of that sexy huskiness that you get with cold sometimes. <laughs> uh. This episode will kick off the festivities, and I've got a couple more planned for you this month. Now, for this episode, I've got a real plastic pumpkin full of goodies for you, a topic I've been wanting to do for a while. Ghost trains have always fascinated me. The blood-freezing whistle that pierces the darkness, the unnerving rumble of gravel and steel, the chilling rush of wind from an unseen source, or even the soft glow of a translucent steam engine replete with gaunt-eyed engineers staring woefully down at you as the apparition glides noiselessly by. In this episode, I'll take you on an express trip through stories of haunted engines, railway specters, train superstitions, and places where the tracks are better left to nature. Stow all baggage and have your tickets ready. All aboard! Next up, Hell. Railway romp begins with some international stations of ill reputation. First stop, a lonely little station in West Bengal, India. A station with such a reputation for paranormal activity that trains won't stop there after dark. Egan Coder Station was built in 1960 in an effort to connect the region with other parts of the state. A noble cause to be sure, but one that ran into difficulty rather quickly. Seven years after completion of the flat platform and small building with not much more than a booking window and timetable on the wall, the station master reported a strange occurrence. He had seen a woman on the tracks late one night. She was dressed in a white sari and walking slowly down the rails. Something was off about the encounter, but the station master wasn't sure what, and he eventually lost sight of her. The employee reported the encounter to his superiors, who thought nothing of it. Until the next day, when the station master and, in some accounts, his family were found dead in their homes. Stories of the woman being the ghost of someone who had been killed in an accident years before began circulating around the region, and the employee's death only added to the superstition about the small station. The mystique surrounding the station became so great that trains stopped making halts there and it was shut down that same year, 1967. Abandoned, the eerie, bare-boned buildings sat along active tracks for decades as stories of ghosts sighted near it continued to be told through the years. In 2009, India's then-railway minister opened the station back up despite the superstitions surrounding it but the belief in spirits remains, and even still, passengers will refuse to use the station, and trains will only stop there before dark. Down the tracks we go to the more populated, bustling city of Kolkata, capital of West Bengal, and a busy station that has come to be known by the chilling nickname the paradise of suicides. Nation, what difficulties did you have with learning a new language in school or whenever you did it? Did you do it through textbooks or did you try to use some weird online thing? I know I took two years in high school and two years in college and I knew nothing. And that's because I wasn't using something like what we have been blessed to have as a longtime sponsor and we use it. Rosetta Stone, they're the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop or as an app. And the reason why I enjoy doing it, it immerses you in the language you want to learn instead of just being silly drills and a class you can sleep through. <laughs> I definitely use it. I, I think it's really cool how they have the speech recognition program on there. It gives you the feedback on the pronunciation. Are you making fun stuff. of me because I can never do that? That's what you're getting at right now. <laughs> That's what it, it's like. What are you trying to do? Do it right. <laughs> 
but it is really cool. They've got all kinds of lessons. You can do it uh, offline. You don't even have to be online for it. That is great because it's right there in your pocket or at your home and you can do it. You got 15 minutes. Let's go to town. Let's do it. You know, and mm-hmm. it's amazing value. Lifetime membership has all 25 languages available for any trips. You need language in life. You need to brush up on stuff. Maybe you just met a girl or a guy or a non-binary and they're from uh, somewhere else. Somewhere, you know, who knows? Well, if they're in the one of the 25, Rosetta's going to work for you. And <laughs> you get lifetime access to all of that. And there is a 50% offer. So it is a steal. So don't put off learning language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Hysteria 51 listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for that 50% off that I just told you about. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. A today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Besides being the first underground metro line in the country, Rabindra Sarabar Station is an otherwise typical train stop for the hundreds of commuters traveling in Kolkata every day. However, unlike other stations, Rabindra Sarobar has a haunting, growing shadow looming over it. It's the site for 80% of the city's suicides. If a bystander hasn't witnessed a suicide personally, there's a good chance they may have witnessed some manifestation of the negativity such an action may have wrought upon the place. Odd feelings of supernatural presences are often reported. At night, some people have claimed to see premonitions of things yet to come in the station. Shadows move on the pillars and tracks when no one but the witness is around. Passengers are not the only witnesses to these happenings. Conductors, engineers, and other employees have seen footless figures moving along the tracks, enough so that it has caused train delays in some instances. Like Began Coder, After the last train, people stay away from the haunted spot. Unlike Began Coder, though, none of these ghosts have been directly implicated in any deaths. A short jaunt to Singapore for our next stop is another station with a haunting disposition. Bishan MRT station counts headless phantoms and faceless apparitions among its customers and has an interesting history leading to the current superstitions about it. An article from the Sunday Times, April 17th, 2005, summarizes. Subways have traditionally been a favorite backdrop for ghost stories because they are underground, dark, and eerie, says Mr. Charles Goh, 37, the founder of Asia Paranormal Investigators, or API. Set up in 2005, the API is a group that researches the supernatural. Darkness is one thing that people fear. Long tunnels that go underground and through unknown areas, which may include cemeteries, are a sure place to have ghosts, if they do exist, he adds. It is a well-known fact that Bishan used to be a Chinese cemetery called Peck San Thing. Founded in 1870 by immigrants from Guangdong province in China, it literally means Jade Hill Pavilion in Cantonese but it is difficult to ascertain if the MRT station sits on former graves. A spokesman for the Land Transport Authority would confirm only that a cemetery used to be located in the Bishan area, but the tombs were, quote, exhumed before the town was developed and many years before the MRT station was built in the 1980s, she said. According to the Kuang Wai Su Peck Sen Thing website, 100,000 graves were exhumed in 1982 and 1983. Today, the Kuang Wai Su Peck Thing Columbarium, which holds 45,000 urns, is just a stone's throw from Bishan MRT Station. API's Mr. Go says this is probably why the station has long been associated with a certain headless ghost, which supposedly haunts the place by boarding or alighting there. Another version has the ghost sitting in the last car, 
with his or her decapitated head placed on the seat next. Mr. Goh launched an investigation one night many years ago out of curiosity, but it yielded nothing except goosebumps, as the station was quiet and empty. Still, he dismisses the email that Lifestyle received as just another urban legend. The number of residents of the condos today sits over 90,000, with an unknown amount of graves possibly still underneath it all. It's no wonder stories and superstitions still abound about the station. Stories like the one where a passenger on the last train of the night watches the station, his stop, come into view and then speed past as the train doesn't even pretend to try and stop. Furious, he runs up front to the engineer demanding to know why he didn't stop at Bishan. The engineer asks how many passengers the man saw standing on the platform. He answers, 10 to 15, to which the engineer says, I saw more than 50 people, some without faces. That's why I didn't stop. We're headed to Europe now on the strange tale of an Italian train on its maiden run that stayed on time, or in this case, in time. A story which has graduated to urban legend in recent years is that of the Italian company Zanetti and a luxury train on its trial run in 1911. Built solely with comfort in mind, the Zanetti luxury train was set to run from Rome through the Lombardy Mountains for a scenic, leisurely ride for affluent passengers. It left its station on July 14, 1911, with 100 passengers and six crew members. Things went swimmingly on the journey. Management for the Zanetti company followed the progress of the train eagerly, excited for the prospects of future trips full of rich patrons. However, after a while, they began to get confused as the train failed to make a stop at one of the stations along the way. It was scheduled to stop there, but the arrival time had passed and the station had seen no sign of the luxury train. Worried and baffled, they checked the last known place it had stopped, a station just before a half-kilometer-long tunnel. The train had been seen heading for the tunnel, so they checked the station after the tunnel and no one had witnessed it exiting. Workers searched the tunnel and found no trace of the luxury Zanetti train. No sign of an accident, no footprints, nothing. The train, along with 106 people, had vanished. Well, 104 people, actually. Two men who were on the passenger manifest came forward to speak about what they had experienced. According to them, as the train approached the tunnel, it began to slow, and a dense, white fog enveloped it, while a strange humming sound could be heard in the air. The two men, in a panic of what they saw, jumped from the train, which knocked them out. Their story seemed to only add more questions than answers. Officials closed the tunnel, and it experienced the wrath of bombers during World War II, sealing it off for good. In an interesting little postscript to the story, people have claimed to have found records of medieval monks around the area of Modena, Italy, describing a strange vehicle matching the Zanetti train. Similar accounts from Germany, Romania, and other places in Italy were found. A signalman in Ukraine saw an old-fashioned train rolling slowly on the tracks in 1955. The same scene played out in Crimea in 1991. And then hospital records were found where 104 people in strange clothing were admitted to a facility in Mexico City, though no one took them seriously when they claimed they had just been taking a train from Rome. Could there be a train out there, slowly rolling through time, lost in a vortex of temporal obscurity, like a doomed vehicle in a land-bound Bermuda Triangle of sorts? 
Well, now that this pristine ball of mozzadel has been served up, let me bring us back down to earth a bit. Most stories that include this info are from the past decade. None of these records have any source, nor are there any names named. Nor has there been any uproar about a hundred souls disappearing and Richie Riches at that. This would equate to Bermuda Triangle-level mystery, and yet it's virtually unknown. Try to track any sources, names, or events related to the story down, and you'll be the one lost in a time vortex. So, since we can't time tunnel our way over to the States, we'll just have to wait on a plane or ship. But, in the meantime, let's go through some railway superstitions and what not to do aboard or around trains. Stepping on a rail will bring a railway worker bad luck. Slipping while climbing onto a train is a terrible omen. The number 13 is right out. Trains were not numbered 13, and if any numbers end in 13, most engineers will refuse to operate them. A black cat running across the track is bad luck, as you'd expect. A black dog doing it foretold impending doom. Sometimes, though, a cat in the cab was good for luck. Turning an engine against the sun is bad luck. An engine marked with 666 in its number is supposedly cursed. An engine that has multiple crew deaths in her service is also cursed, or hoodooed, and most workers would refuse to operate it. Leaving a caboose coupler or front engine coupler open causes all the luck to run out of a train. It's unlucky if a train passes over a bridge while a person is walking beneath. If this happens, the fingers should be firmly crossed. It's unlucky to talk while walking under a railway bridge. It's unlucky to stand in the clouds of steam from locomotives while under a bridge. It used to be believed that encouraging a child to breathe air through open train windows while it traveled through a tunnel would alleviate whooping cough. The number nine and its multiples are shied away from. Accidents tend to happen in threes. Engineers don't like to start runs on Fridays. Trains are often treated as living beings, and this ties into railway superstition. An article in the Grass Valley, California Morning Union from 1890 related a story by a veteran engineer named Tom H. A locomotive engine is, to my mind, as near human as any inanimate object can be. Sometimes, I think they're more than half human. Of course, that's all fancy, though. I've driven this engine, number 486, for 10-15 years. I know every inch of her, and I know how to manage the old lady. Some days she gets cross, doesn't seem to care about working. Then I gotta coax her. Other days she'll feel bad and take on a dreadful rate. Then I gotta doctor her carefully. We fellas have a way of tending to these little matters. As a general rule, my engine's in good trim and goes like a bird. Jack's like a human, trembling with excitement if there's a prospect for fast running. I believe in pre-sentiments? Well, I have to say yes. The night we went into a ditch near Malvern, smashing up things badly, I told Jim, that's the fireman, a half hour before the accident happened, that something was coming, because I never before knew the engine to act so queer. She didn't want to go. When I crowded her, she pounded badly, seeming to drag like along the rails. When the poor girl toppled over on her back in the ditch, I thought she groaned awfully. I believe an engine smells danger ahead somehow, 
and then goes to trembling and pounding. Leastways, mine always did. The engineer was then asked if he'd ever seen any ghosts. Well, I can't say that I ever did, but once. We were coming west from Otumwa about midnight. It was moonlight, and I could see ahead pretty well. We were nearing a place where a young girl had been killed while crossing the track on a little pony. As we came up rapidly, I, I noticed something white on the track in front, and presently, to my horror and astonishment, I saw the shadowy outline of a young girl. She was holding the little pony by the bridle rein, and the animal was prancing with fright. Both were square on the track. I blew the whistle and turned on the air. At this moment, the girl turned her face toward the engine. A long, cruel red scar extended from her forehead to the chin. Her eyes had a pitiful look. But we couldn't have stopped that train for our lives. We dashed upon him and went through the apparition like it was a cloud of mist. I felt a chilly sensation as we passed. My blouse was damp as if dew had fallen upon it. That was the only apparition I ever saw. The poor guy that ran over the girls never ceased to grieve about it. Eric Hayes from Monsters Among Us shared a couple calls with me relating to railway ghosts. And with his permission, I'm going to share them with you as we get more into the ghosts of the American rails. Hello, uh, Derek. My name is Craig, and uh, I have a story to share with you and uh, the other listeners. Uh, I just discovered your podcast, and uh, I wanted to share this story, this really unusual thing that happened to me uh, back in 2004. Uh, it was uh, late fall, so it was uh, quite cool. Uh, I used to work at that time as a locomotive engineer for the uh, Arkansas-Missouri Railroad. The train that I was in charge of ran from Springdale, Arkansas to Fort Smith, Arkansas and back. It was an evening train. Um, We would run from basically about 5 o'clock in the afternoon uh, to 5 in the morning. It was a good 12-hour shift for the most part. Anyway, between the town of Winslow, which is uh, up in the Boston Mountains, it's the proverbial wide spot in the road, uh, but it's the top of a very heavy grade uh, coming up from uh, Chester, Arkansas. And uh, the trains that we would bring out of Fort Smith would be so heavy that we couldn't make the pull up the mountain with the train intact. So what we would do is called doubling the hill. We would stop at Chester, uncouple half of the train, take half of the train up to Winslow. There was a siding there at Winslow that we would set the first half of the train out on, and then we would back just the locomotives down to Chester, grab the rest of the train, and pull it up the mountain stop it on the main line, uncouple those cars on the main line, double over to the um, passing siding, grab the first half of our train, couple up to the second half of our train, put the train back together, and then we would run on to Springfield, or Springdale, excuse me. Well, one night in 2004, like I say, it was late, late fall, uh, it was cold evening, foggy, a uh, very creepy night in itself. And uh, the conductor, it was just a two-man crew, myself and uh, my conductor, who was a young man at the time named Ross. And uh, so we were pulling up the hill, and uh, you go through a long railroad tunnel, and as soon as you come out of the tunnel, you're in Winslow. And uh, like I say, it's it's a wide spot in the road, uh a quaint little town, but little more than that. And uh, as we came through Winslow, I looked to the side of the track, and I thought I saw a figure standing there. And as we got closer, I realized it was, it looked like maybe a teenage girl, very long blonde hair, 
the hair, her hair was, she was standing there with her arms slightly away from her body. She was in a nightgown, uh, a light, lacy kind of nightgown. Uh, she was in her bare feet. Now, she was standing on ballast, uh, which is the rock that, you know, when you see a railroad track, the rock that the that the actual track and ties are in. On our railroad, we use decomposed granite, which is when it's busted up very sharp angles. I mean, you'll tear a pair of work boots up in six months walking on the stuff. She was standing on it in bare feet. She had her hair, her head was tilted forward. So her hair, you couldn't see her face. Her hair was long and it came down over her face. We passed her. When we passed her, we were not more than maybe three feet from her, you know, from the, as the train passed. She did not move a muscle. She did not show any kind of reaction at all. Very creepy, incredibly creepy. Now, Ross came over to my side of the cab and was sour too. And it wasn't, she wasn't like a spirit or a ghost. You could see the breeze was blowing her nightgown. We went by her, both of us were just absolutely freaked out. We couldn't believe what we'd just seen. And uh, anyway, so we uh, continued on down the track and then Ross dropped off the engines at the switch <laughs> He wasn't very happy about that being alone out there. Uh, he threw the switch. I backed the uh, train, the first half of the train, into the siding. Came back out. He aligned the switch, and then we started to back back up to uh, down the hill to get the second half of the train. We went by her. We were watching, of course. We were absolutely transfixed. And as we went by, she was still standing there, had not moved a muscle, went by her again, and uh, just both of us absolutely creeped out. The whole trip back down the mountain, that was all we could talk about. What, you know, what was this? What had happened? Were, were we both seeing things? So we went down, we coupled onto the second half of the train, uh, pumped off the air brakes, and off off we went back up the mountain. We got to Winslow, and sure enough, she was still standing there. She'd moved a little bit, but she was still standing, still barefoot, still on that ballast, standing in exactly the same way. And it was frightening, absolutely frightening. We rolled past her. Uh, now, at at this point, Ross was really scared because he was going to have to drop down, uncouple the engines from the cars, and then, you know, he was going to have to spend a lot of time down at that switch by himself. Uh, so we pulled forward. I was, Ross was constantly staying on the radio with me. He, uh, you could tell he was absolutely scared to death, and I was too. I kept looking down the side of the locomotive, just expecting uh, anything to come walking up there. So we uh, backed in, got a hold of the train, got it back together. Uh, I could hear Ross on the radio just running along the ballast to get back up to the engine so we could go. He got back on the train, and uh, so we started heading our way back to Spring Springdale just as soon as I could get that locomotives, the locomotives pulling that train. I asked people. We had people that lived in the vicinity that worked for the railroad. I asked them if they had ever heard. As we started to roll back to Springdale, after the initial fright, uh, started to taper off and I started to think more rationally. I thought, well, maybe this was a disturbed young girl. Uh, maybe she was a runaway, something of that sort, trying to find a rational explanation. 
So I asked around, like I said, we had people that worked for the railroad that lived in the vicinity. None of them, none of them had heard, uh, knew anything about a young girl, a troubled young girl. Nobody knew anything about a runaway. She was there. We saw her that evening. We never saw her again in all, in years of running up and down that railroad at night. Never saw her again. It was just that one night. And uh, I just, I wish I could put you in the cab with us to just, it was the most creepiest, frightening thing that I'd ever seen in my life. Stories like Craig's and Tom's are not uncommon. A whole slew of stories concerning trains and phantoms on the tracks is out there in railway lore. The little details are always different, but the premise is always that an engineer sees something ahead on the tracks, realizes too late it's a person, the person just stares them down as the train barrels through them, not over them, through them, causing the person to dissipate in a cloud of vapor. The engineer will corroborate the story with colleagues who have had similar experiences, and then someone will check some records and find out that a person died years ago in that very stretch of track, and a lot of times it's on the anniversary of their death that the incident occurs. Hey, can I take a minute to just tell you how many stories I read where someone got beheaded on a railroad? I'm not talking about some railroad justice, medieval execution, Ned Stark kind of thing. I'm talking about walking to the curio to display your brand new Precious Moments figurine and the cat decides it's time to practice for the obstacle course and your legs are the obstacles and you drop the figurine on the carpet, on the carpet, and the head just pops off like your gaze sent a laser across its neck. Now there you are, stunned and empty, holding a little head with gigantic woeful eyes staring blankly at you while Skimbleshanks over there is licking his crotch with a back leg in the air like Freddie Mercury at St. James Park 1986. I, I don't know how exaggerated the beheading stories are, but from what I've read, railroads might as well play croquet with flamingos and hedgehogs. I mean, the French Revolution would even be like, Sacre bleu! Pitié, s'il vous plaît! Headless workers and victims of railway decollation are said to be searching for their heads, or at least that's the theory. And if anyone ever finds a skull and can return it to the body, the sightings stop. As for collisionary apparitions, the premise can often be similar. Find the body, give it a proper burial, sighting stop. Such was the case for a West Virginia ghost on the old Baltimore and Ohio Express, from Grafton to Parkersburg. An engineer was making the run one night and was coming up on tunnel number 19, Silver Run Tunnel, when he spotted something white on the tracks ahead. Quickly realizing it was a woman, he blew the whistle and threw on the brakes, knowing it was too late to stop, hoping she heard the noise and would get out of the way. But she just stood there. Then, just as the engine was about to give her a Scottish handshake, she floated off the tracks and down the hill. When the train finally shuddered to a full stop, the engineer and fireman jumped down to see if she was all right, only to witness her vanish in a weird, thick fog that rolled up to the tracks. This scene played out numerous times, apparently, as engineers shared stories about run-ins with the specter. She was described as having woeful eyes and jet-black hair, and wearing a brooch and golden slippers, along with a white dress. Near as anyone could figure, it was the ghost of a woman who had been on a train to go see her fiancé, or was with the groom and either fell, jumped, or was pushed from the train in or near the Silver Run Tunnel. The story got around to one brash young engineer by the name of O'Flannery, who had to see it to believe it. And see it he did, stopping the train, blowing the whistle, and everything like the others had done, his bones rattling at the unnerving encounter. But instead of letting fear dictate his actions, he turned to anger and dared the phantom to show her gaunt face to him again. And she took him up on that dare. 
The next time she appeared, instead of throwing the brakes, O'Flannery stoked the engine. The train plowed right through the haint, causing her to seemingly disappear on the spot. O'Flannery, satisfied in thinking that it ain't no thing after all, waved to bystanders along the tracks as usual and thought it odd how excited they were that evening. As he pulled into the next station and was climbing out of the cab, he noticed a hubbub around the place, with people talking and pointing and concerned looks on their faces. Then someone came up to him and asked where the lady was. Confused, he answered, What lady? The lady in white, the onlooker said. The ghost? (laughs) I wouldn't worry about her anymore, O'Flannery said with a chuckle. No, said the onlooker, the lady in white who was riding on your cowcatcher and wailing hideously. The color drained from O'Flannery's face as the onlooker continued. We saw her on the cowcatcher, and then as you were pulling into the station, you passed through a fog bank, and when you came out, she was gone. O'Flannery couldn't handle the run anymore, and had to take quite a bit of time off before he was able to get in a train again. Years later, it said, some folks were digging in the cellar of an old house near Silver Run Tunnel when they found the skeleton of a woman. After this, sightings of the White Lady dwindled away. that I would like to share is actually about a ghost train. I never even heard of ghost train until this happened. I was probably 15, maybe 16. And I was at a friend's house. She lived in the very tiny town that had like four houses, but in the country, basically. And there's a train going through her backyard. The tracks from the house, maybe 50 to 100 feet, very, very close. And so we heard trains all the time. It was very loud, nothing new. We were in her house, in her bedroom, and we were playing a card game of some sort. And me and her and her little brother heard the weirdest sounding train that we had ever heard. It didn't sound like a normal train horn that you hear. It sounded very old-timey, like a steam train with tons of steam billowing out and The way that the tracks sounded, you know, it didn't sound like a typical modern-day train. It just sounded very weird. Um, The best way that I know to explain it is, like, when you see on movies the really old, slow-moving but powerful steam trains, that's what it sounded like, but it was just very loud and very echoey. So we kind of just freaked out, and we ran out into the living room where her parents and some other people were, and we all ran outside. Well, you could still hear the sound of the train, the you know, sound, but there weren't any more whistles or horns or whatever you would call it. It was just sort of a, that track sound. And there's trees on either side of the tracks, and there's wind blowing away, pushing away, like a train would be pushing away from the wind blowing against the trees, but there's no train. We can't see anything. You can hear it. It sounds very echoey, and it sounds very old and very different than a normal train. And you can see the wind pushing against the trees away from the tracks as if there was a train driving by, but there was nothing. And it just sent shivers down my body. And my friend and her whole family, you know, we all just kind of stood there in awe. And this just happened to be a few weeks after I was 
sort of gawking at my friend for telling me her sister used to hear horse and carts, you know, going down the train and different things. And I thought they were just making it up. But after I heard that, I kind of wondered if maybe they weren't telling the truth. But I always thought that was a very unique experience because I thought ghosts had to be human entities or demon entities or, you know, whatever kind of person type entity. But this was a train and it was so unique and weird. And to this day, people think I'm crazy when I tell the story, but it was very real. And I've never experienced anything like that again. And that was in Missouri, also where I grew up. So... I just thought I'd share that story with you also. Sarah's story is certainly unique. I've only read a handful of accounts similar to that where a train is heard, felt, or maybe even smelled, but not seen. That would absolutely be unnerving to experience, to say the least. In most stories of ghost trains that I came across, when one is witnessed, it's usually witnessed in its full glory, and so is whatever tragedy it was involved in. Not unlike an infamous and deadly train wreck and the legend it spawned down near Statesville, North Carolina. About 2.30 in the morning of August 27th, 1891, a westbound Richmond and Danville train was on its way to Asheville, Engine number nine hmm, was pulling six cars, mostly passenger cars, when it came to Boston's Bridge, a 60-foot-high, five-span brick structure. Suddenly, the engine rabbited the tracks and dove off the side of the bridge. A horrible scene unfolded. Every single car was pulled off that bridge, plunging into the creek below, explosions and screams filling the air. Twenty passengers lost their lives, and about thirty were seriously injured but survived. The wreck went down in North Carolina history as one of the worst to ever happen in the state. Fifty years to the day later, a husband and wife were driving on the road that ran alongside the tracks by Boston's Bridge when the car got a flat tire. The husband left to go get help from nearby Statesville, and the woman stayed by the car. It was around 2.30 a.m. when she saw a light coming down the tracks. It was a train, and just as it reached Boston's bridge, it suddenly hopped up and plummeted over the side. The woman watched as the train smashed into a twisted, burning heap of wreckage. She heard agonizing screams and wails, and saw the creek dam up and begin to swell, covering people trying to crawl away. Just then, a car pulled up behind her and she ran toward it, screaming that a horrible wreck had just happened. Her husband and a local store owner got out and ran to her to see what was wrong. She took them back to the bridge, near hysterical, and pointed to the creek below. A serene, babbling brook, dark and quiet in the moonlight. When the couple got into town, they stopped at the train station to ask if there had been any wrecks that night, to which they were told no. But, there was a bad one 50 years ago, and when she heard the description exactly as she had seen it that night, she screamed and fainted. Fast forward to 2010, and a sad lesson for all of us, especially the curiosos who go looking for this type of stuff. A paranormal research team apparently went to the bridge on the anniversary of the train wreck. They were walking the bridge around 2.45 a.m., when they saw a light and heard a train coming down on them. Apparently, in the mindset that it was the actual ghost train they had come to see, they hesitated before realizing that they were truly in danger. It was a real train, and when they did run to get off the bridge, it was too late. Two were injured, and a third member of the group did not make it. Let his passing serve as a stark warning that when investigating the paranormal, or anything really, make sure safety is priority number one. Train tracks and paranormal investigating have been a bad combination, not just on Boston's bridge. 
sometimes research into a purported phenomenon does yield answers and dispel specters. Take, for example, the St. Louis Ghost Train of St. Louis, Saskatchewan, Canada. For years, stories of a ghost train haunting the rails of St. Louis were told, with more than a few people claiming they'd witnessed it. The ghost train was more just the headlight of the train approaching down the tracks, but never passing. A group of friends from the area documented their experience with it on virtualsaskatchewan.com, saying, We sat there for about an hour, and nothing was happening. And then all of a sudden we saw this light. It was just like a train coming. Bright light coming at us, with a little red light towards the bottom. Enthralled, the group watched for a good two hours as the steady white beam and its crimson companion appeared to approach, but never arrive. As time skipped by, chatter in the automobile turned to the source of the light. They decided to investigate. With the light plainly visible through the windshield, they drove straight at it on a rough old road running parallel to the track bed. We drove and drove and drove, and all of a sudden this light was gone. When we looked around, it was right behind us. The sight of the lights was from a spot where the railroad had been torn up and removed. Others have seen the lights, quote, right at their heels, casting shadows, then disappearing, end quote. It's a phenomenon that has intrigued and spooked locals for a while, until the fall of 2001. Enter high school seniors Alicia and Shannon, who needed a project for a science fair. With a map, compass, and positioning system, they pinpointed the spot the light could be seen and drew a line from there to where the light looked like it was coming from. They then marked all roads in the vicinity. Alicia's father then drove to six spots that looked like they lined up with their vantage point, and the girls had him flash the headlights. Nothing seemed to match the ghost light, so they decided to switch their vantage point to a higher elevation where the light was supposed to be seen. That time, the ghost lights appeared and corresponded exactly to when the father flashed the headlights of the car. The conclusion was diffraction, light passing through a small opening, like trees, and diffusing and expanding in the process. In doing so, a small, otherwise unnoticeable source of light, like a headlight, could become larger and be seen plainly across the distance. The girls won a gold medal for their experiment. It's gonna happen when you least expect it to A solid golden train is gonna come down after you It's gonna happen suddenly and then before you know You'll hear that old conductor shouting all aboard Let's go, will you be ready? Will you be ready when you hear that ooh-ee-ooh-ee-ooh? Will you be ready? Will you be ready when that solid golden train comes after you? Find yourself a Pullman car, then stretch out in a berth. You're lying there and thinking of the life you've led on earth. You're wondering if you're heading up above or down below. And if your friends are glad or if they're sad to see you go. So will you be ready? Will you be ready when you hear that ooh-ee-ooh-ee-ooh? Will you be ready? Will you be ready when that solid golden train comes after you? Prepare yourself. That goes for me, too. Yes, sir. The train comes to a stop and disappears beneath your feet. And all at once you're standing right in front of old St. Pete. He reads your record to you by the time that he is through. It's pretty clear to see the old boy's got a lot on you now. Will you be ready? Will you be ready when you hear that ooh-ee-ooh-ee-ooh? Will you be ready? Be ready when that solid golden train comes after you. I'm ready to give up all that stuff. Now I wish I hadn't done it. Just time to save yourself. That's right. The 
There's nothing you have ever done that he is overlooked. Unless somehow you get a break, you know your goose is cooked. You make a solemn promise it won't happen anymore. Pete shakes his head and says, my son, I've heard that one before. Now you better be ready. Ooh, you better be ready. When you hear that ooh, 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 yes, you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready when that solid golden train comes after you. When you're out carousing with the devil in your soul You may throw sevens and elevens every time you roll But don't think cause you're winning you'll be lucky right on through Cause one day that old golden train is coming after you Yeah, you've got to be ready You must be ready when you hear that ooh, ooh, ooh. Come on now, all get ready You must be ready when that solid golden train comes after you As this train pulls into its final destination, I'll remind you that railroads are no joke, and to always keep your wits about you around them. The amazing feats of engineering and ingenuity that have gone into the development of trains is matched only by the danger they pose. Patience, attention, and common sense are the companions you want near the tracks with you. Even then, accidents happen, distractions pop up, and freak occurrences aren't out of the question. Happenings that might, if you're not careful, lead you to an afterlife on the rails, searching for a body part, reliving a horrific accident, or stranded as a silent shadow doomed to flit from platform to platform forever. That's Railway Ghosts in a steely, loud, steam-powered nutshell. Come on now, all get ready. You must be ready when that solid golden train comes after you. Now we are ready. Now we Walk up are ready. Drop a little something in the box here. Now we Thank are you, ready. Thank you, Well, hello now there, Miss Jackson. Oh, nice to see I found a ton of stories on this topic, and this is by no means all of them, rather just a sampling to wet your train whistle, which means I'll probably be doing a Railway Ghost 2 on down the line. I've got to cover the Marshall Pass Ghost Train, the Atlantic Coast Line, Sweden's Silver Peeland, and many more. So keep your feet on the ground and feel for the rumbling of a second edition of this topic soon. Actually, feel something rumbling right now. Yeah, there's the smoke. There's the light. Look out! It's an out-of-control freight train of puns! A Mexican bandito once stole a train engine and used it to smash into banks and rob them. When he was finally caught and put on trial, he claimed he just loved trains and his real goal was to drive an engine everywhere he went. The judge thought it was a crazy intention and found him guilty due to his locomotive. Samuel Langhorn Clemens rose to fame with his Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County short story, which he wrote while in San Francisco. Though he hailed from Hannibal, Missouri, he lived all over the states, particularly by the oceans and Great Lakes, and pretty soon, people thought they were catching a glimpse on beaches and boardwalks of a coast twain. He almost fell in love with a singer who lived a wild life and tried to direct her once in a symphony, but he couldn't conduct her. He did appreciate her caboose, though. And them's puns. Thanks again to Derek for supplying those calls. Hear more like those over at Monsters Among Us podcast. The award-winning Monsters Among Us podcast, by the way. Cheers to Herbert and blasts from the past taper and vile Kyle. Hey, good to hear from you guys. Thank you to Josh and Herbert for the coffees. I appreciate that and the kind words, guys. Thank you. If y'all want to keep me caffeinated and chugging along, be like Josh and Herbert and buy me a coffee at coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash blurry photos. You can also feel free to punch the donate button on blurryphotos.org. 
When you go there, you can find links to get a free audiobook, maybe one of the Living Among Bigfoot series that I narrated. Join me on twitch.tv, follow me on social media, and support me on Patreon. I have a live show coming up on October 30th as part of the Murder in the Mountains Festival at the Crested Butte Center for the Arts. If you're nearby in Colorado, come out and see the show. You can find more at crestedbuttearts.org. Make sure to check out my trivia podcast, Quiz Quiz Bang Bang. Just search that on all the podcatchers or go to quizbangpod.com. For this episode of Blurry Photos, however, I've been David the Boo Boo Train Flora. <laughs> God, it sounds like the train is hurt. Boo Boo. Choo Choo. No. Nah. Hey, don't stop blur even. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.